All right, Chris, we're on, man. Awesome. Today we have Chris. I worked with Chris, was it six years ago, Chris? Man, I, I would have to look back. It's, it's, it yeah. seems like such a long time. <laughs> yeah, I would say probably one of the best SAB SD consultants I worked with. There you go. No, thank you very much. Chris, how long have you been in the industry? <laughs> uh, well, I've been doing IT for 30 years, but I started off not with SAP. I worked with some other older platforms, and so about 25 years on SAP. 25 years. And you have uh, six years of those are with S4 HANA. That's right. Yeah, I caught it uh, when, you know, few first companies was implementing it. I was fortunate enough to get an opportunity to join because obviously you can't find, back in the day, you couldn't find a lot of consultants with experience with S4 HANA because it was brand new. So they took people with a lot of experience, so the CC, and then gave uh, the opportunity to join and, and start getting work experience on S4HANA. I, re I remember that uh, we were getting calls from recruiters that they want somebody with three or four years experience in HANA, but it was only a year or two old. <laughs> yeah. When you and I were talking, we are talking about Brownfield and versus Greenfield. That's and right. For, th for those that are, have heard those terms before, can you elaborate a little bit? Those are just the terms that are commonly used on a day-to-day. -day. If you talk to a recruiter, they use it. Uh, if you talk to project managers, if you talk to uh, project leads, and even companies that are implementing the system, those are the terminology that are used. But mainly, if you're upgrading your system, so if you're using an older version and you now start using S4HANA, it means you're going to keep all your data and just upgrade the system. You call that Brownfield. That's just a term. We can go into the lexicon, try to find out why they chose those. <laughs> but uh, I, I just go with the word and say, call it Brownfield. Brownfield. Uh, the Greenfield makes more sense. That's when you, it's a, you know, like a pasture, like a nice idyllic view of a Greenfield and, and then you're going to build from scratch. In other words, you're going to implement S for HANA on a company that never used SAP ERP solutions before and they're just going to start being a client of SAP and start using the solutions and they're going to start by using S4HANA. So uh, it's a different set of requirements, different profiles, uh, different kind of projects and different skill set that you need to have to do well on both projects. So for consultants that are starting off, I would recommend, I mean, Greenfield would be the, uh, the ideal opportunity for you to join because if you're doing Brownfield, for instance, you need a consultant that that did upgrades before, pretty much. You, you can get like uh, when I joined the, my first S for HANA project, you can get somebody with a lot of experience with ACC, and they're probably going to do a pretty good job for you. But if they never done upgrades before, it's a you no know, steep learning curve and you have to learn a little bit of the tools and the kind of issues that you're going to encounter. And uh, if you're going to find those as you encounter them, your reaction time is a little slower. That's the only drawback really for hiring somebody that never done upgrades before. But it's tough to find too, people that are specialized just in upgrades, less so nowadays. Back in the day, it was very hard, but um, nowadays a lot of companies have to upgrade. Brownfields is a very common project because they're, they're going to lose support for ECC and there's still plenty of companies in ECC 6.0 and a lot of people need to do the upgrade and they try to do it with the least amount of impact to the business. And as we know, if you change the system, there's always some impact to the business, right? So 
have you, from your experience, do you feel like companies are taking it more serious now than two years ago? I think so. And there's also the, the, the amount of new features. I've been in companies where there were really this push. I said, well, why are we upgrading? What, what new features does he have? And when you, when you had like the first version of it, you start talking about features. I mean, there, there's some very dramatic changes like business partners and things like that. But once you dig down, you see that it's not, it's not that much difference. There's a lot more in common than it is than different. Yeah. But uh, as newer versions have been released, that has been less and less the case. There's more features, more interesting stuff. And uh, the simplification list are issues that are features that are going away. It's growing as well. In other words, things are definitely shaping up to be more complicated now than they used to be. So the latest one that I, I, I flagged it for us to, to talk about, the condition contracts, that has been there for a while. But now since 1909, I believe, yeah, 1909, is when they turned off the the sales rebate transaction. So now, uh, even though the feature was already there, now it's more mandatory than before. You can still get an okay from SAP to to turn that off, but I guess that's not what you're supposed to do. But it's a uh, there's always the chance that you know, SAP is if you hire a consultant that knows how to do things, you can do a lot of damage to it. But you're not supposed to. That's the thing. A VBO one creating new sales rebate agreements. You're not supposed to use it anymore. You're supposed to create conditional contracts and uh, and use the this brand new feature that is just similar in business requirements as a sales rebate, but it's definitely something completely different. There's many other uh, features that are more interesting, especially now though the new reports and the Fiori apps. A lot more planning can take place, approvals. It's Mm -hmm. So how's the rebate process changing with uh, conditional contracts? Yeah, conditional contracts is how I call it because I'm an SD guy, a sales guy. But uh, the, the official name under the SPRO menu, if you go look in there, you're going to find called, something called settlement management. If you're coming from a FICO background, uh, settlement appears in uh, you know, 100 different places, but this settlement management is a feature that used to be available for MM. When you wanted to settle rebate agreements, for instance, that you have with your cut with uh, with your customers on the purchasing side, so let's say vendors is providing you with an rebate agreement, and you want to manage that, the condition contract was there to manage that kind of transaction so that you will get your rebates, right? Yeah. So what's new is they took that feature SAP did and adapted it to use for sales. So instead of creating condition records directly first you create this shell this contract which somewhat resembles uh, a sales contract that you get on va41 for instance right but yeah but because it came from mm the screen looks a lot more like a purchasing order than a sales order entry like a va41 so we create that contract under that contract you would generate your condition records on the on the bottom i'm doing the screen with my hands right here (laughs) there's this bottom part is where you put the the condition records but then you have a lot of new functionality like business volume criteria selection so that's where you will go in and you say okay these are the invoices that should affect that should be eligible for rebates in other words you no longer use the condition records to decide if the invoice is relevant for rebate or not so you only use condition records to determine how much the rebate should be percentage dollar value scales all that good stuff this is all at the condition 
record level. But the determination if the invoice is relevant or not is using this business volume selection criteria to something new. It's on the book, uh, second edition. You can read it. It's going to tell you details of, on, on you know, the determination of the invoices. And then uh, there's the settlement calendar where you go in and you decide how often do you want to create accruals. Accruals when you set some money aside. So you take your invoice and you decide the portion of that invoice, portion of that sales revenue that you, you made once you sell your product, you want to set portion of that aside to later on be settled and given back to the customer, either as a credit or if, if they're not like a, a customer, if they're a broker or some other uh, third party entity, if you want to send them a payment, same idea, use the exact same features, just a little field to change if it's payment or credit and all the good stuff. Now, Chris, why do you think knowing that there's going to be some changes into the process? Why is that important before an implementation starts? Well, the thing is, if you're putting the plan together, like a project plan together, and you're doing a brownfield. So when, you, when you're hiring an implementation partner to help you out upgrading your system, that's not because the business came and say, hey, IT, I need to upgrade to S4 because I really love that condition contract stuff. <laughs> and you must upgrade right now. That That's not what happens. What happens is SAP comes knocking your door and say, hey, you're going to lose support for CC60. Come on and hurry up. You got to upgrade to S4, right? And then IT department goes to the business and says, sorry, guys, we're going to have to upgrade to S4. Oh, really? Oh, I don't want to dedicate my resources to test this again. We just implemented three, four years ago, and now we're going to have, oh, man. So you got that confidence. Yeah, when did you upgrade us to HP8? That's right. <laughs> That's right. So now you did all this as for implementation project plan, and you're trying to decide all the different things that you're going to have to do. And you have the business part of migration. Then you have other tasks that are fairly simple. Most of the work is about code review because of all the table name changes and all that good stuff. That's what you're going to find on your, pro uh, your project plan. And if you're doing a brownfield upgrade, right? And then if you use sales rebate, you may not know that you have this huge piece waiting for you. So let's say you don't know about condition contracts. You think you may continue working sales rebates forever, and you're not aware that this feature is, is it's major for you on, since 1909. So let's say you're starting your, your, your upgrade now, you're going to do 2020, or you're waiting for the, the new version that's coming up, and you're going to do that version. You're going to have to do condition contracts if your company has sales rebates. Right. Mm -hmm. And knowing that you put your project plan together, you know, you're going to need a guy or girl to do your condition contracts for you. You know, it's not trivial. It's not just a matter of upgrading your, your, your rebate agreements. They do not migrate. You cannot run a program that converts everything. You have to have really an implementation of this brand new feature that doesn't work before. You don't know what that does. Um, intuitively. You have to talk about it from a greenfield, quote unquote, standpoint. You have to go ask the business, hey, how do you do rebates? Uh, do you need to do this kind of rebate, that kind of rebate? How many customers are on each rebate? And, you know, what kind of business bonus selection criteria should I enable for you? Which field should be mandatory? What kind of accounts you want to hit in this and that situation? If there's a reversal, if there's a, an, if you didn't use a rebate for which account should go for so that is now, a much does more a, Does a business need to get on the rounding table and 
talk about how this new process may change their process, uh, or is that as easy as just gather requirements and then we should be able to give them what they were used to do before? Well, it's possible to do without the business. It's uh, They're going to have to be trained at some point, right? Yeah. There's uh, when I say possible and I say recommended, it's definitely a problem if they're not involved. Um, the rest of the stuff, the rest of S4, you could just train them as a as a one activity at the end of the project plan. But for condition contracts, that's a different story. They have to be involved on the testing. They have to be involved at least a little bit on the requirements gathering side, just so you understand first that it's changing, yes, you're going to have a few new transactions that you're going to have to use. Make sure it adheres. Make sure that the new functionality really is going to work for them. It's, it, it will supply them with everything they need. and then you I don't know may go through the first phase or second phase and then all of a sudden somebody's going to start testing sales rebates and I'm going to say oh wow this transaction is not available anymore <laughs> and then you call a guy and you call the other guy and then they escalate and then all of a sudden the president is involved oh we missed it <laughs> and now two months delay in the go live so that does not that's not good because that's super expensive I mean Dude, dude, that's not a way to save money. That's for sure. You know that. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you got, and then 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 it becomes a lot of noise, and noise exactly. is never good in any project. It doesn't look good for the project manager. It doesn't look good for you know nobody involved. Oh man, how you guys missed this? I mean, yeah. Sorry, that's what you all <laughs> you can say. <laughs> untrained on how HANA works and how it's going to impact them. Yeah, the, the first, there isn't a, a place where you can go and uh, read all the features that will impact me, right? Because mm -hmm. that, that goes for everything SAP, right? There is no way you can go and learn how to configure what I need to configure. You have a, a repository with all the new release notes and, and new features which is pages and pages long, it's just summarized. You know, you have to read this one sentence and, and think about, hmm, for my company, this will impact me. So I think uh, with the activate methodology, especially when it comes to the to to brownfield, right? Like on upgrade scenarios, there's this phase where you have to analyze the, the, the pre-check report findings and the simplification database, those are like initial deliverables that a, a consulting project team and implementation partner would review, right? And then you can, uh, by that, carefully spend time on each finding and verify what would that represent for me. So don't try to do the first thing project plan and then start doing it. First thing you do is an assessment. You go in and you assess if uh, what's the, what's going to be the most work we're going to 
have to to do to to do this upgrade. So this project preface, it's 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 worth it's weighing gold to avoid surprises later on. And and for that you need people that are upgrade specialists, people that know what to expect. Because then you don't even have to check anything. You already know. Oh, you guys do rebates? Sure. Yeah, you're gonna have some problems. Oh, well, how about your business partners? Did you already synchronize your business partners to your customers and vendors? No, you didn't. Okay, that's gonna give a little bit of headache there. So if you get somebody that already done a couple of upgrades, then you know it just speeds things up quite a bit. You're gonna find more, so it's still necessary to go through that to their review of the projects. So if I'm an SAP manager or a power user or somebody that's gonna get impacted. Is there a methodology that we can follow? Is that something online? Like, how do we go about, and what does that exercise look like? Well, the, it does vary from implementation partner to uh, to others. There is a methodology, like SAP activates the methodology, is official one, you go to SAP uh, you, and you can get trained on it. it. They have the tools right there described for you. You're gonna, but it's just like SAP activate for Greenfield. When you're, you're implementing SAP, the tools are there. You can just follow it and get it done. But as you go company to company and consulting company to consulting company, each of them have their own way to do things and they want to add more value. And that's why you would hire them versus the, some other consulting company. So those tools would, would, would vary between the consulting companies as well. So I think uh, if you're just a student and, and you want to learn, you know, the, the best practice or the, the SAP way, I'll go trainingsap.com and, and, and there you will learn the, the, how to do it. But if you're already working for a consulting company or even for a client and you already know who your implementation partner will be, I would try to find their way to do things and, and how they're planning to implement it. And that will probably be the more um, appropriate. So or, let's uh, let's assume i know who the implementation partner is right like what do i ask them for right? like what is that called in the industry because well, basically what we're saying is there's some there's a way where they evaluate what you have right now to determine what the impact will be when you're on hana what is that called how do i even ask about it well the, the program that you run to 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 get the report that that's a, a transaction you can use. I I don't escape me right now. I know that there's there's one particular program that they run the pre-check underscore upgradation underscore report. <laughs> that's a, a you go on SC38, you put that in there, and that already is going to give you a bunch of findings. But that's mostly focused on business partner migration and synchronization. But the ones that I was referring to earlier is not just that. There's there's this pre-check report that uh, there was one project I worked on and the implementation partner, they, they had this package of programs, the Z programs that they brought over. And then the basis team installed it and there was this, this the upgrade uh, specialist that was there. He ran the programs that generated all the reports. The reports had SAP standard results where they, they give you the message, they tell you an SAP note number that would explain what that finding means, right? And so, for each each finding you get, you get like a like a you can export it to a spreadsheet later on. But it's kind of a report, right? So when you export it to a spreadsheet, you will find all the different subjects that may be of concern, 
and then you go line by line, you read the OSS node, and then I'm going to say, oh, uh, this particular uh, functionality, let's say uh, APO, if you're using APO in your company, and there are some changes on S4HANA on some features like global ATP that was brought over to regular system, you don't necessarily need to use it on APO side anymore, even though up until a few versions ago it was still supported. I'm not sure 2020, I'm pretty sure, but I mean, pretty confident, but not sure that it will still be supported. Just I would have to check to make sure. I just picked an example of random, right? But let's say it is APO and that's one of the hits. So your SS notes gonna say, well, you're using global ATP today on APO, on S4HANA, that no longer needs to be on APO. You can just configure straight out of your S4HANA main system using configurations like so and so and so and so. And then you are gonna assess it. You can even consult with your client and explain the situation and say, okay, do you wanna bring that over? Do you wanna go BTP straight on Asana or do you wanna keep everything as is? And then they are gonna know that, oh no, we have other stuff built upon that. So we won't be able to deactivate APO. We need to keep doing that as we do it today. So all that exercise is part of that initial effort that I was referring to earlier, right? And that's one of hundreds of hits that you have to review. And that that's uh, done during the project preparation phase. That's right. That's recommended. Because yeah. because then if you're going over that list, you're going to find items that will require months of efforts, and then you're going to find tens of items, probably a few hundred, that you can ignore, but you don't know if you can ignore it or not. Right. right. Condition contracts is one of them that would glow red, right? <laughs> you should. And there's another one which is business partners, right? That's right. That's right. All that's right. a big one. Yeah, because uh, uh, people just say, "Oh, yeah, the screen looks pretty much same." Oh, never mind. That's okay. It is not okay. It's <laughs> uh, quite a bit to be looked at. I, I always feel like that's a fine line between the business power users, the consultant, and the users. And I feel like because it falls in a responsibility of many folks and it kind of gets dropped. Yeah. No one really picks it up to say, hey, I want to compare A with B and what do I have? That's true. Uh, they all and, can just drop it. And, and there's this philosophy too when it comes to us for HANA. There's this um, philosophy, but it's like people that just dismiss what's different. Oh, they have you know, uh, condition contracts, ah, that, that's okay. That was there already for MM. We can just use it. Oh, what about business part? Yeah, no, that's very similar screen. We don't have to do anything. And so what can you say about that, man? If you don't know anything about you haven't researched, you haven't read one book about it, you, you haven't even ever logged on into the system and done it, and you assume that that's not an issue? That's like doing a feed gap analysis and then looking at all the gaps and saying, no, we don't have any. We'll get to them later. <laughs> or that would be a fit dismiss analysis, right? <laughs> yeah, fit dismiss analysis. <laughs> right? That's right. Just either fit or I forget it. And that's okay. But so for the business partner, for instance, so it's that very elevator pitch type description of what we're talking about. So used to have these tables, customer table, vendor table, and very important, contact person and employee table. People forget it. Those are also business partners now. So all that stuff used to have on ACC. Now, when you go into S4HANA, you have the business partner table, which is the central repository that has all that information. 
And then you say, oh, it's a completely new set of tables. Unfortunately, it is not. There is a few tables that are layered upon the customers, vendors, contact person, employee, but a lot of those tables are still used. KNA1, still there. KNVV, LFA1, LFB1, LFM1. Um, the contact person ones, those those are gone. The KNVP, um, as soon as I said that, I'm, I'm not sure anymore. But yeah. so, but then you create some new tables, the BUT000, BUT100. Those are the business partner tables. Mm -hmm. So when you look at on ECC, those those business partner tables already exist. They were deployed as part of ECC version 6.0, I think, an enhancement patch, patch six, 6, if I'm not mistaken. I don't know. I, I didn't memorize this stuff. But at, at that point, the business partner transaction was enabled, and all those tables already existed. And that's not because people were claiming or clamoring for business partner transaction. The reason why that was made available for ECC is so that people can start synchronizing that data right there's this master data synchronization configuration one more plug it's also in the book by the way yes. so if you want to learn about it just <laughs> read that <laughs> gotta plug it several times <laughs> you no. know i've i've read i've read one of your books I, I don't remember which one it is but it's one of the earlier ones uh <laughs> yeah nice so you, you use this. Uh, Chris, I don't know if you remember. You remember that pricing procedure document that you did? Oh, yeah. I well, the thing is, before I started publishing them, I used to 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 write those those very extensive blueprint documents with that contained a lot of like uh, training information. So I didn't just my blueprints were, I guess, too much. If you look at it, <laughs> oh, they 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 they're awesome. You know, after you left, uh, somebody asked me if I had a book on pricing procedure. I was like, <laughs> I don't, but I have an SOP, a BW. I mean, a, a business process document. I can send you. And I was gonna send them your your uh, your user guide on pricing. There you go. That works, right? Now, thanks, man. I'm happy to hear that they're still used. You know, because sometimes you spend all this time writing it. And then as soon as you're no longer there to tell them, hey, read this, then people just forget that it even exists. It's a good thing to still in use. And, and I, I really appreciated that after you left. Not many consultants do that. Uh, and that's a sad part of the business. Not many body writes good documents because, mm -hmm. I mean, I don't blame them. They gotta, they want you to depend on them. Uh, well, but well, that's the thing. Yeah, I mean, if you leave and they hate you, at some yeah, point, it's going to be tough to find new customers, you know? Yeah, I hear, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I want my, my previous customers to miss me dearly. If they if they glad I'm gone, then I did a bad job. <laughs> 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 I don't want it to be glad I'm gone, you know? <laughs> but anyway, so but for the mass, let's go back to the master data synchronization, right? So what you do is you define the account groups, the customers and vendors account groups, and you map them out to something new, the business partner group. That's part of the new business partner database, right? And then the part of the, that is more complicated, it's on the details. Now you have an old number that this customer used to have, and you have to decide which is the number that the business partner is going to have. Is it going to be the same as the customer, or is it going to be a completely new internally assigned number range? Advantages and disadvantages for both, it's good first to know that you can do that, 
It's a completely new number range. You can, you can have it dissociated, not a problem. But some people think it, it has to match with something. It doesn't, but it could, and it would be good if it could, right? So all the, this is conversation you need to have with your customer with the people implementing or upgrading the system, right? And uh, at some point that needs to take place, hopefully you already did it on HCC. If you didn't, guess what? A big old task on your project plan again. You have to do that mass data synchronization. And you can start it doing project prep. You don't even have to wait until the S4 HANA upgrade project started. As soon as you can, you can just sit down and start synchronizing your data. Because when you do the upgrade, your business partner's already there, right? And then there's, there's a few other subjects that would should come up. Like, do you want to combine customers and vendors? Because now you can't. If you, a lot of companies have... Go ahead. So that you could assign customers and vendors in the same group, same number range? Yeah, well, the same business partner. So you have same only business one business partner, partner with one customer and one vendor. So Just to clarify for those that may not know what we're talking about, business partner, we're basically saying an account group that you create in the system and that identifies, that tells the system whether that's a client, a vendor, yada, yada, yada. So what I meant was, there is this repository, there's the new transaction BP for business partners. And uh, that new table that I referred earlier, that re contains information that are just for business partners, right? So right. you could go into the system and create something called a business partner. It's a brand new set of table and fields and, and repository, right? So when you create a business partner, you don't know if he's a customer. He may also be a vendor. He may be a vendor only, but not a customer. He may be a contact person, he may be an employee, maybe whatever. So it's a business part. In other words, a person, a entity that do some sort of business with us. They buy stuff from us, they sell stuff to us, they work for us, they work for somebody else that do business with us. So they're competitors and all the other, uh, you know, types of uh, uh, business partners, right? So. If you have a customer and you integrate that to business partners and you have a vendor and integrate it to a business partner, instead of creating two business partners, if this customer and this vendor is the same guy represented twice, once as customer and once as vendor, you could link them both to the same business partner guy. So mm -hmm. now you have one business partner repository with a name and an address, and then you can link that to an existing customer and an existing vendor. It's very doable. It's not very hard to do. And then people say, oh, my God, we're going to have to go over to all those customers, all those vendors, find which ones are the same or not. Well, first of all, on the customer and the vendor master data, there is a field right there. So you have a, a customer number on the vendor master data and a vendor number on the customer master data. If you're already using that, then the problem is solved right there. You already know they're linked together, right? right. I mean, if that's not how you want to do it, you can. So does that require us to have new uh, vendor numbers? Uh, I mean, probably, right? We're basically saying a uh, customer that was called one, two, three, it might be five, six, seven going mm -hmm. to HANA. That's true. So what you can do in that case is, I mean, what, what I've seen companies do as well, which I thought it was good, uh, you, you keep one of the two numbers. Let's say your companies focus on customers because you have uh, a somewhat medium-sized list of customers that are very large and important. So you don't want to mess with their numbers. You want to keep their numbers the same. So you migrate the customer number range 
to the business partner number range. And then let's say you already created some of these customers as vendors in the system for whatever purpose. Maybe you wrote them a check at some point in the past and you needed to have them as vendors. So you can have a purchase order. You can create a, excuse me, you can create a payment on the, on the finance side. So you would need to have them created as vendors, right? In that case, you just take that vendor number as is. So in other words, you're not going to change that vendor number, still going to be the same, but you just go and you link to the business partner that you synchronize from the customer. So you take the customer, you copy it over as the business partner number, right? And then you link the existing vendor to the business partner. So you're not linking it to the customer, you're just linking the customer and the vendor to the same business part, right? As Got a it. transaction FLBPC2. I memorized <laughs> that one. Yeah, remember that, huh? <laughs> but that's that's a that's a great point because I mean uh, one of the companies I worked on recently is they had number ranges which was scheduled, I want to say scheduled, estimated to expire in a year or two, which would require a lot of people to get to the table and decide about what do they want to do and how do they want to have the, the new number ages. And usually these are the things that impact everybody on the organization and they don't take into account that how long it's going to take to get 10 or 15 people from different departments come together and change the vendor number range or the contact person number range, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, I've, I've had that situation happen one time where it expired and the notification was missed and we couldn't create invoices because the number range, the, it simply ran out of number range. Mm -hmm. This was not a small organization either. Uh, it happens and uh, it's, and I'm glad you brought this up because I feel like this is one of the points that people think it's so easy, but it's so complicated at the same time. Yeah, you, it's the opportunity for you to, uh, not an op I would say opportunity, but it's definitely something that you would uncover everything that was done in the past. I, I had the experience with, with the client where they changed the number range for an existing customer account group four or five times over the past 12 years. So you're going to have this one account group with one number range defined. And because of situations like you described, like they ran out of space or whatever the reason was, they decided that instead of having three zero 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 zero, they're going to start now using six zero 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 because they think it looked better, whatever the reason was. Yeah. So yeah. now you have all this mass of data with weird number ranges created 12 years ago. And now you have to migrate all of that stuff, all of it to business partners because it's a prerequisite for upgrade. You have to migrate all of the customers and all of the vendors and all the contract persons, all of them needs to be business partners. And another mistake that I see clients make is they know that their number ranges need to be rediscussed and need to be reshuffled and reorganized. But because they need to bring a lot of people to the table, they just say, oh, since we have a project plan, let's just go with what we have and then we change it later on. Well, it's not that doesn't never happen until you run into problems mm. where you cannot create anything. Uh, and so going back to the project plan, I think this is also another good activity is you need to you need to get this done before even getting to the project. Yeah, that's true. definitely going to impact. And then um, and just translating project plan into budget. That's another thing, because if you talk about the IT departments, right? 
So the reason why they put it on the on the project plan is because they want to use that budget to pay for that activity. The right. problem is that if you start the whole project together and that's just one of the tasks, that's a long task. It's going to take a long time. So if that delays your whole project, that means that your complete budget is going to be much higher. You're going to keep a lot of consultants in the project for a long time and you don't necessarily need them to be there, there long, you know. So it's a lot more convenient to have a separate budget, a separate project plan, just for that task alone. Get that done as soon as you can before you even start the upgrade. Yeah, because you don't want to have a team of 10, 15, 20, or whatever your team is of consultants waiting for you to decide on what the number ranges are going to be. That's right. That's going to be the only expense. Uh-huh. And some changes because you want, but a lot of the changes because you have to. Correct. So, and if you don't know exactly what's going to happen, if you haven't done upgrades before, you haven't done master data synchronization before, you're going to find out what you have to do as you have to do them. In other words, several attempts, if you have millions of records on your master data, it, it takes time to run that migration. So you run that migration, you get like a list of hundreds of thousands of hits of problems of all different sorts, mapping of a form of address, mapping of department codes or whatever, the, the tiny little itty bitty things that, that are mixed together with this major number range conflict that you have, right? You're going to be reviewing that and cleaning it up on several iterations uh, until you, you clear them all out. I mean, if you know what you expect, if you've seen it before, you're already going to clear some of them out before you even ever see them. And then the number range, as you do the synchronization and you have in mind that 100% needs to be synchronized, then every year you find at that level, at that time, you already clear them, right? So you, you're not going to wait until the testing time to find those kind of issues. You're going to find them as a separate initiative that ensures 100% synchronization, right? We're right, saying the so, same thing in a different way. <laughs> so, so, so we're basically saying before the, before the project, you estimate your number range how long they're going to last you, 20, 50 years, five years, two years, whatever that number is, make a decision whether you're okay with it. Because if you're not, you got to talk about it before you go into the project plan. Well, yes, but let me tell you, there's a lot more considerations other than just how long you have before you run out of numbers, right? Let me just talk about it a little bit. Because what you have sometimes, companies have one account group for sold to, one account group for ship to, one account group for build to, and so on, right? And then you design one number ranges for sold to, another number ranges for build to, another number ranges for ship to. And then what you do is, if you have a customer that is a sold to and also a ship to, they create a guide twice. One is a sold to and one is a ship. You don't have to do that. For whatever reason, that's fashionable, much more than you would, you would expect. <laughs> People create the guide twice, two, three times the same customer in the database. Right? So now when you go to, to S4, then you got this opportunity to clean them all up. Right? right. If you want to. You can just migrate to Soto and and there is a chance, there is a complicated, complex way that you can ignore certain entries and combine them. Right? And that's the opportunity to do that. Right? It's not gonna come around another opportunity to to deduplicate your entries, right? So that's also another master data exercise that it could take a long time because uh, right. you literally have to go one. You really have to go one by one and say, "Hey, uh, customer A 
it's sheep to X, they're the same guys, or they're not. And maybe you want to keep him as a sheep to rather than a soul to, or maybe you keep him as a soul to rather than a sheep to. And now you have to choose which of the number ranges that you have that you want to keep for the business partner, because you want to keep the same number, right? And now let's say you keep one of those number ranges and then you create your business partner. And now you can go to the business partner repository after you upgrade to S4. Now you have this business partner with this special number range that says, I'm a ship to. And then at any point in time, you can just go to the business partner transaction and you can transform it into a vendor. You can transform your business partner into a vendor by assigning a business partner role to it. And now you have this ship to number range for a vendor, right? And you're gonna run a vendor report and you have a bunch of business partners with nice fitting number ranges for the vendor and this weird looking number right there, right? Right. So that number range discussion is much more than the very important discussion about the longevity of the range, right? No, you also need to talk about all the meaning that over time was assigned to that number. So over time, every customer that begins with one is a so two, begins with two is a ship two, with three is a build two, and so on and so forth. Now, even if you call it, even if the, the business partner number, if you keep the same number, even if it begins with one, it could be a ship to, could be a sold to, could be a build to, could be a vendor, could be an employee. It doesn't matter. That number range is no longer meaningful. And it would be great to get rid of that meaning when you upgrade to S4, because that meaning no longer exists on the business partner repository. And if you don't take that opportunity now, it's going to be really tough to get rid of it later on. And I'm sure there's other interfaces or any smartphones that look at that number and say, if you start with a two, you do this. Uh, yeah, which well, is a no-no, but I'm sure there's a lot of those. I've seen some very scary stuff on that, for sure. But this should never be done. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's scary but, stories. It's a separate podcast. You can do like a horror stories. Maybe a special for Halloween, just SAP horror stories. That's, <laughs> uh, I, I'm sure like, that's like a six-hour podcast. That's true. That's, that's definitely like a six-hour podcast. <laughs> All right, Chris, independent consultant. That's yeah, what you so. are, and that's what you have been for how long now? I started 2008, so 13 years now. So... 13 years independent and 25 years with SAP. With SAP and another five doing fun COBOL stuff back in the day. Fun COBOL stuff. Do you even know COBOL? You're a young guy. You probably no, know I, 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 I know the name. I don't know much about it. <laughs> yeah, no, if it, I mean, on technology, if that's one of the things they talk about, HABAP, and how similar it is to COBOL. COBOL is this very, very uh, old language that has been around for a long time and still in use by a lot of the banks and everything else mm -hmm. so yeah they have everything built on, on with that language i don't this cobo at all i'm i wouldn't say i'm a fan but i don't this it you know <laughs> it's something well, that's been around he gave for you the, years he gave you the jump start that's right oh and first job i got was on that i mean you know back in the day i was 17 and just walking in with my cobol skills and clipper dbase three plus and all sorts of it's that technology that back in the day people got impressed that you know 
Nowadays you're kind of hiding. Oh yeah, yeah, no cobalt either. Don't tell anybody. <laughs> so, so I think we all have our stories of how we got started with SAP. Uh, mm -hmm. For those that want to transition from a power user or they're on the business or they just want to get, they don't have experience, but they want to get through. What are some of your recommendations to transition into an independent consultant role? Sure, absolutely. So once you get to learn SAP, there's uh, multiple different ways you can approach it. Uh, you can do your own learning. Uh, there is uh, these uh, several companies. So there's one that is my favorite, but I don't know if I want to do free advertisement for them. But there's, you can Google like free SAP access for training for study. That's something you can you can get like a uh, books from SAP Press, uh, my editor, or you can find training materials on SAP training.sap.com. That's the S of sure SAP training site. Um, if you have access to a system and you can get it for a hundred bucks a month and now you can learn SAP, right? So the theory you can get on self-study without paying the thousands of dollars that they charge for the official training, you can get good knowledge on your own, right? But if you want to become an independent consultant, so there's multiple reasons why you want to become independent consultant. There are several reasons why I like to be independent consultants. And because you ask, I'm going to tell you. So, <laughs> so independent consultant is good because you choose the company you work for, right? If you're an employee of a company, you're gonna they're gonna have to find something for you to do to justify your salary, right? So it's not like you're gonna be able to choose what you're doing all of the time. You can choose, in general, the kind of stuff you're doing, right? So if it's good for you or bad for you, it doesn't really matter. You have to add value. You have to be contributing to the success of this company that has SAP as an important component of it, but they're focused on either making a product or distributing a product or providing a service. That's their goal. And you're just there to help them do that. So whatever it is you need to do to help them do that, you're going to do, right? If you're an independent consultant, now you say, okay, I want to do SAP or I want to do Java or I want to do uh, website development, I want to web design, trendy, trendy thing. Nice. I like web design. I, I don't know how to do it, but <laughs> like it's a way to go, probably go about it. But if you want to become independent on doing that, so that's your thing. That's what you got to do. And you got to do more of it. You got to do it in an environment that is challenging, that is bringing you complex requirements. Why? Because you learn better how to do it and you become better at it. That's a good point because I always felt like there's never a, I cannot tell you I'll go to one, two, three. I think the attitude was most important. I mean, whenever we do an implementation, we look at who is more active, who's who look, who expressed more interest, who's a more technical savvy, and who's fixing things that it's not the job description, right? Like mm -hmm. uh, one time when I was in UK, I had this guy. Uh, that uh, I don't want to mention the name, but you also mm -hmm. follow the project, and uh, he would proactively fix issues. It was not like that's why we were there, but he would proactively fix issues. So I learned that he had a background uh, that had an IT background way, way back 30 years ago, and that's what he studied. So little by little, he became a power user. So I saw him transition from somebody that only had heard of SAP and he transitioned into a power user only because 
when problems came, he would do some research on it. Mm, I see. He wasn't just pushing the ticket through. Mm -hmm. And then he. Uh, what you gotta do if you wanna? I mean, if that's what your goal is, and um, I, at at some point, I, I I you know talk to a lot of my peers, people that are also independent consultants. There's multiple reasons why you would want to do it. It's not just purely because you want to get better at, you know, the, a given system or a given uh, subject or discipline and within information technology or anything else. Information technology, that's pretty big. You know, a lot of people do that. There's the money aspect of it, too. I mean, obviously, if you if you work enough, uh, enough projects back to back, you end up making more money. But... Uh, it's not guaranteed that you will do that. Sometimes you work for a client for a year, a year and a half. That's a long, long project for a year and a half for with a client. Yeah. And then uh, you may end up being on the bench for a few months. So if you average out the amount of money you make, that's not that much more, considering you don't have any benefits, you don't have um, uh, overtime or, or, or vacation, none of that stuff. You don't have health insurance. So if you add it all up and you have that bench time, you're not making that much, much more money, right? So you have to have more than just money in your mind if you want to become independent. And you can't be afraid of being in the bench for three months, for instance, right? That's... So if you if you can't afford it, that's that's a big problem, right? Because you're going to be scared. You're going to freak out when the project is coming to an end and you know you're going to leave because more than likely you will. And you can't feel bad about it. That's part of the deal. You're That's an independent the, consultant, yeah. right? You're not an employee. They're, they're going to let you go for sure. It's just like you have to do the best job you can until that happens. And when that does, you take a bow. Thank you very much. See you next time. And then you go. You give them your SOPs. A 20-page right. SOP on a pricing condition. Make, yeah. sure <laughs> make sure you miss me and not <laughs> glad I'm gone. <laughs> You give them a nice document that ha that basically has your name there and says how, how great of a consultant you were. That's right. Okay. I, I, there's, there's so many people I, 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 you know you work with, and, and that, that's something else too. That's the negative aspect. Is you meet a lot of people you like, and you, you have fun, you go out, you, you have a few beers, or whatever it is you do, you develop a relationship, and then all of a sudden, you're never going to see that person again, ever. Yeah. You know? And it's not for everyone. It's, I mean, I'm on my 17th full life cycle implementation project. There's been like 45 different companies I work with. To be honest, not all of them I miss dearly, but there's quite a few of them that I do. Yeah, you so, do miss. Yeah. You know, it's fine because uh, it's a never ending learning experience, right? Like, even, I bet like even with 30 years later, you're still learning about new functionalities. And from my experiences, I felt like I, I started more in my first two or three years in SAP. Then I did college, high school, and middle school all together combined because mm -hmm. it was a steep learning curve for sure. Yeah, well. uh, and everybody that asked me, I, I just tell them it's easy. Just learn 10 minutes a day. Mm -hmm. Well, and to me, it, there, I, there's that for sure, but there's another approach, which is, if an opportunity comes up and it's something complicated that you don't know how to do, that's your favorite thing to do in the world, right? If that fits your profile and if, if something new comes up and nobody knows how to do it and say, here, here, me, pick me, I want to do that, 
right? If that just comes naturally for you, you, that's what you do. You're an independent consultant. That's your opportunity to learn. If they're willing to give it to you, even if you don't know how to do it, right? You're going to figure it out. You're going to research it. They're going to give you training. That's that's a $1 million job, even if they pay you 10 bucks an hour, right? Because right. that's yes. a job that is giving you what you need to later become a very valuable resource and something that you would then become an independent consultant. Which is something we can talk more about, because that was your question, and I started just justifying why that's a good thing, because most people don't really understand what that entails. That's nowadays people talk about gig economy and they think about Uber drivers, right? Because Uber drivers are independent drivers; they're not an employee of Uber, right? Right. So, independent consultants is the good side of the gig economy, I think, in my opinion. A lot of people don't like it; it's not for everyone. But if for quite a bit of, of people, quite a number of people like that idea, right? The idea of, okay, I'm going to work pretty hard on this project, going to deliver it. It's going to be an interesting and engaging work. I know I'm going to get it done. As soon as that's complete, I'm going to do that again somewhere else, right? I'm going to keep changing environments, keep changing people, changing countries quite often, as we know, because we both did that. Yeah. <laughs> we were traveling well, back and forth. a lot of traveling as well. That's right. So... And that's something else too. If you have young kids, if you don't want to leave them home, uh, you know, you need to help out or whatever it is the the reason. Um, maybe uh, I I had to take a break at, at some point. You know, I, I was early on as independent, and when my first daughter was born, and decided, you know, that they're young kids, I, I want to get off the road. I went took a job, and I was there for three years before I went back on on the road, and. And after a while, the road is, it, I mean, on the beginning, of course, and back in the day, there wasn't even any TSA. So it was glamorous at some point to go on a plane. Nowadays, it's taking a bus that flies, right? And it sucks. There's no other word for it. It's horrible to have to fly everywhere. It's, it's terrible. There's there's well, no good thing about it. It's but, fun when you're 23 and the company is sending you to Europe and other countries. But after a year, it gets old. That's right. You've got like kids waiting at home, the wife complaining because you're never home. At my age, that's the bad side of it. Obviously, when you get there, then you get the good side. You get to see a new place and uh, you know, some interesting food and then different people. But the thing that doesn't change is you're changing environments, you're changing requirements, you're changing industries most of the time. You're hopping from from, I don't know, electronics, you go to automotive, you go to beverage, you go to food, and you, and, and you keep learning more and more things. And and it always adds up for your own experience, you know, and it gets you prepared for something new. I mean, it's a hustle. If I go, yeah, it's a hustle. If, if you go to a brand new industry I've never been before, it's okay. There's, there's, uh, to me, I want to do it. Please hire. <laughs> <laughs> but, <laughs> I want to do it. They need to give me the opportunity. I'm sure they're not going to be disappointed. And I'm going to take something out of it, too. I'm going to to learn some new requirements, maybe new features. There's industry solutions, right? The SAP specialized packages that they use. And that's what you must try for. If that's appealing, it's what you're going to do. But so how do you become independent? Consultant? So the, the best way to do that, I mean, if you're already experienced or not, if you have a diploma in the area or not, if you want to become an independent consultant, you have to first work for a consulting company. That's a, so that how do I find a consulting company? Yeah, so th that's my opinion, right? So obviously, 
I know some people that became independent because in order to be independent consultant, technically, right, just the terminology alone, all you need to have to be an independent consultant is a client, period. That's it. You don't need anything else. If you have somebody willing to hire you as an independent consultant, you're an independent consultant, the end, right? But you want to make a career out of it. That's what I'm talking about. If you want to have right. a number of clients, if you want to go from one to another, make one happy, make the other one happy, go back to the first one, work there for another year, then go to the second one again, and then go to a brand new industry never been before, and then go back to that first client, work for another year. So you you have all these relationships of people that are tremendously happy that you're there for a brief period of time, and then you go do that somewhere else, right? That's okay. that's a career independent consultant, right? In order for you to do that, you have to learn consulting skills. They, I don't think they teach it in school. I have never oh, heard of I, one that will teach you that. So, so I went to Tampa, right? And they had an MIS program, which I had to take a class because it's required by my finance degree. And we had a project uh, that we had to go to the lab and use SAP. And I spent two hours. And here's what I did in my freshman year. I had mm. to create an employee. No, two employees. And then I had to create a supervisor. And I had to assign these two employees to a supervisor. And that took me two years. And wow. <laughs> I'm sorry, two, two hours. Well, uh, two years is a lot. <laughs> man, that was, that was the most intense uh, project that I've ever done in SAP. I don't know how things got easier, though. I think with tough time. <laughs> Man, I said two hours, you know, and nowadays you do it in two seconds, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if you think about what I did and how long it took me, I was like, man, how stupid was I? But I guess you know it's the age when you're only 18, and and a lot of young folks ask me about how do they learn SAP, and I always tell them, you don't learn SAP all at once. You just learn bits and bytes. So today you learn about a sales order and then tomorrow you learn about this and then learn about invoice, learn about partner profiles. Well, what happened is when you're learning a sales order, you may not understand it until you get to the invoicing part. Mm-hmm. And usually people, they get stuck, right? They start learning SAP, they get on the sales order process, they, they don't understand and they just give up. But once you go into the later phases, it, it starts making more sense now that you're learning invoice and you're learning how you connect it together. So I think if I was to give an advice is just be patient and just learn one piece every day. In about six months to a year, they're all going to make sense. Absolutely. That's great advice. I think so. I think I'll, let's, um, along those lines, also try to choose the module you want to stay with, right? I know I have uh, friends that are generalists, so they learn a little bit of SD here, a little bit of MM there, a little bit of PP over there, and then it's it's fine. I mean that that's very valuable, but if you want to become independent, that is not a good strategy. Yeah, you gotta have one module. You have to be a specialist. Depend. Yeah, because they they don't want a SAP guy; they want the SAP guy. The SAP guy, right? No, so if they if, and and one more thing. Uh, also, very good recommendation is try to get experience with something that has a market for. It. So, if you acquire knowledge on SAP CRM, that's a great module, a lot to learn on it. I do not know about it, right? So, 
it's it's very cool component of SAP. It's it has very heavy hitter competitors in the market today. I mean, uh, you got um, I think Salesforce.com is just taking over the whole market. But back in the day, they used to have a SIBO people soft, and uh, even the NetSuite has all sorts of CRM uh, tools on that too. And let's say you say, you know what, I want to be SAP and I want to learn SAP CRM. How many companies use SAP CRM? That's important information before you you just bear yourself completely into CRM. There are some, and it's not very few. There's there's a number of them. But how many companies use SAP Finance? All of them. Everybody. Everybody right? has to. Yeah. So should you do SAP CRM or should you do SAP FICO? You should do SAP FICO. Answer. <laughs> you should do SAP FICO. You know, it, since you, since you, you can mentioned... be an SAP FICO with SAP CRM knowledge, great. That's ideal. But don't be just SAP CRM, right? Got it. So you're saying in the beginning, have something that uh, almost everybody uses. Then later on, you can specialize. That's right. Do so, Chris, let me ask you this. This conversation comes out a lot. Agile methodology, right? Like, I feel like that's the new... Uh, cool terminology that everybody just mentioning it. What do you think of that methodology in SAP projects? Yeah, I, I work with a lot of companies that like that. The Scrum, S-C-R-U-M. Yeah. The the Scrum Masters and the and the way that they approach it, it can work very well with SAP. And that's a controversial statement. But what I'm supposed to say is that it sucks and it doesn't work with SAP. But that's not necessarily the case. It can be very good for SAP. It's just that the way you break down your projects, the way you break down your opportunities all the way down to the individual tasks that you assign the people to complete, that's where you need to have somebody that knows SAP. You can have somebody that is a Scrum Master and just assign them to do SAP stuff, and that's when it sucks. You have to have an SAP Scrum Master and they know what SAP does and what kind of tasks are, what's the duration of a task. Because well, the problems you get with Agile is as a as a ABAP developer or a functional resource, if you're assigned to a project as somebody that would just go in and configure something. And, and, and if your Scrum Master just decided that this task is supposed to take a week and you do it in a month or and it takes a month to do, or they assign to you in a week and it takes an hour to do, you're going to get tired of going back to them and say, hey, man, that's not really, the, I don't need this much time. I just only need an hour. Or, oh, my gosh, just a week, man. It's going to take me a month and you should break it down and further more granular task. So I guess that's true for any methodology, right? So you, yeah, you have I, to, go ahead. I agree with you. I feel like Agile, I, I'm a big fan of it because the reason it was developed is you build as you go, you learn and you improve. I think the problem is that when you run SAP projects, you have to be conscious of how, what's a reasonable script, right? Like a sprint. I cannot give you a purchase order today and give you invoicing capability next month. I, ha- I have to have an order, a delivery, and an invoice. Otherwise, there's no point in having that sales order creation process if finance is not up to date. So 
what I've seen is they make a lot of mistakes on how they split it up, right? Like I could have a sales order process invoice and the uh, and then do EDI integration later on, right? That mm-hmm. makes sense. But I think is breaking that down into reasonable sprints that makes sense for people. I think that's where the mistakes are happening. No doubt. Yeah, well, I was even on a more granular level. So you take the 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 different sprints and how you go to the level where you can actually assign tasks to people, right? So many projects, they, they put me as like a, a team lead for the SD module or, or sales initiative, often called Art of the Cash. So what you want to do is when you take that task down to the level where you need to assign people to go and do, right? That's when you take the just the EDI piece and you want to make the EDI happen. What you're going to do is a different EDI, uh, uh, EDFX uh, interface types or, or IDOC types, maybe split it up and assign individual tasks to people, breaking it further down. And then you need to know what is achievable because agile, you need to assign tasks that are achievable in the short term, right? Yeah. And in order to get to that granularity in a way that makes sense for SAP, you have to at least have done it once before so you know what, what it involves, right? Yeah, and I, I also feel like you got to do the blueprint thing holistically, as global, mm-hmm. whatever the company situation is. Uh, I've seen some companies, they go into SAP implementation and they do sprints implementation, which is, I find that to be very wrong because what happened is SAP is highly integrated and you do sprint one, which is order to cash, and then once you get a finance, uh, they may have some requirement that now you got to change your sales order process or account mm-hmm. determination and all that other good stuff. Yep. Uh, I think my recommendation is you do the blueprint holistically and then you break up the work however it makes sense. Yeah, for, for implementation, I think the, the methodology, I mean, it doesn't work. And yeah, for it for does. implementation, it doesn't work. There's just too many unknowns. I mean... What I've seen the Agile methodology working, I mean, activates the way to go for both upgrades and green fuel. That means I like that a lot. If you don't like that, I guess second option would be ASAP, the, the old SAP methodology from EC. You can still do ASAP with S4 HANA, no problem. It's, that's blueprint, that's all good stuff. The activate methodology is supposed to be like, you go in and you start demoing stuff. And, and then you do a fit gap analysis, then you, you do the necessary configuration, implement. ASAP, you're going to do as this uh, um, workshops. Mm-hmm. You do the, you can even do some to be workshops. Uh, you do blueprint requirements gathering, all the fun, fun stuff, right? And uh, but when it comes to agile, what I seen working before is when I was working uh, for a very large uh, software manufacturer in the United States. I try to avoid providing <laughs> client <laughs> names, and then. They obviously use Agile all the time because they develop software of all kinds. Oh, it right? makes sense. Total makes sense. sense. Right? And they say, no, I want to use it for SAP too. And I don't care if that doesn't, doesn't adhere. And it turns out that it does because they were doing enhancement projects upon the existing system landscape that they had in place. So now it makes sense because now you're developing a software, quote unquote, which is not really may or may not involve coding, maybe just some configuration with testing and some other activities like that. It's very encapsulated, very manageable. 
it's measurable. But as soon as you deliver it, you can see if it's successful or not. You transport it to production, all sorts of tasks. It's very repetitive. And then you have the complicated piece in the middle here that you need somebody that knows the system in order to figure all that out. And then the rest of the stuff is kind of very similar. So the steps that should involve, you don't have to, to you know, uncover or, or find out a completely new set of tasks every time you do it again, which is the case for Greenfield. If you're doing Greenfield, you're going to find a lot of surprises. <laughs> always, surprises. always a lot of surprises. That's and then Agile doesn't work with a lot of surprises, I think. My yeah, it, it works if you logically break things into sprints, right? But if you're asking us to do sales order today and invoicing a month from now, that's not going to work. That's not logical. You, you know, that's like building a house and uh, uh, not knowing where the door is going to go. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's very it's tough. Just... I mean, it's kind of like you have to do the whole project in your mind and then create the the tasks right so of course you're going to get a lot of stuff wrong because because of all the surprises right yeah it works with when you're building something from scratch but when sap is a pre-packaged software you gotta you gotta Some make things it work. you just can't do yeah that's yeah. true cool anyway. Chris, thank thank you so much if people want to find you how do they find you well, I have my, my LinkedIn page. You can find me there with uh, via my name or Stephen Health. Um, that's a good way to keep in touch with me. Um, I I would ask you if you could kindly share my, the link to my book. Absolutely. Yeah, so we're, and we're your working. book is on the SAP Press store as well. That's right, SAP Press. You uh, they they have sales on there. You can get PDF downloads straight out of the website. They have those uh, those deals where you can get like a printed book. And um, uh, the the ebook as well, so it's pretty good. You deal. have other books as well for sale. No, the, the, on that on the website, that's, those are the books you're going to find. I mean, all other publications they're customer specific. It's not widely available for for people to download. Got but it. Uh, yeah, and that's that's the the new edition of the book is coming up uh, next that's year. That's for the Big Boys Club, right? <laughs> well, the the well for. For, for the book, I mean, you have to keep it generic, right? You, you have to talk about what SAP can do. And what I try to do is just talk about, well, what I commonly see on company, this is typically how they wanted to do this. And or certain features, this is how it works, but people don't really use it. I mean, uh, or just, it's just for industry specific or whatever. So I try to put some of the smarts in the book, but you can really be uh, specific, right? In those have to be done company by company. It costs a lot more, by the way, but uh, it's the way we okay. make some money, right? That's what it is. That's what we do. <laughs> All right, Chris. It's very nice having you, man. Thanks, sir. You the best. For if you're ever in the Melbourne area, let me know. Sounds good, my friend. <laughs> Thank you. Bye now. Have a good one. Bye-bye.